listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. Well, hello, my name's Bjorn. I'm one of the pastors here at Red Church, uh, and it's great to be uh, speaking again. It's been a while since I've been, I'll say up here, but actually in front of the camera this time. Uh, And I love that I get to speak at Advent. I love Jesus, and I love what this season is about. And if you know me, my you know that in the middle of November, my Christmas tree was up and my Christmas lights were up. Uh, it's just something that I love and I'm looking forward to be able to share with you today. This uh, Advent season, uh, we are using the main verse. The main verse that we're using is in John 3.16. And I want to read that for you. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. We have a secondary verse that we've sort of been using in our Advent season, and I love the work that the Advent team have put together for for Red Church this year. And that verse uh, we've been using is John 10.10. It's one of my favorite passages, and uh, you'll notice that I've got quite a few favorite passages, but Jesus here is speaking and he's saying this. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I love, we're also using the Passion Translation that says, but I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullest until you overflow. Now, that's quite, that's some quite uh, uh, descriptive language that, that's written there. And the reason I love this passage is because it speaks of something exciting and attractive uh, about living this abundant life. And it's more than just life. It's life to its fullest. I always like thinking about thinking about it like it's a, a glass of water. So if our lives are like water, it's not a glass that's half full. We're not living half full. We're not living three quarters full, but we're living life to the full. That if you to the brim, and if you add anything to it, it's going to overflow. There's something beautiful in what Jesus is offering here in this passage. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know too many people that don't want to have uh, a full life. As followers of Jesus, I think this is part of the reason that uh, we made the decision to believe in him, uh, because the Holy Spirit showed us, as it said in John 3, 16, that we won't perish with, uh, that, that, that we would perish without Jesus, but instead we have life. But not just life, fullness of life, not a half life, but everything that we need. However, In the context of all that's been going on this year, I get the sense that the apparent fullness of life seems to to have been squashed or limited. What do I mean by that? Well, as a staff, we have been meeting weekly uh, over Zoom, and uh, most of the meetings Mark has led us in some sort of reflection uh, as we look at what God has been teaching us this year what he's been showing us, how we are being uh, renewed and reformed. Uh, often Mark would be asking us, uh, how are we going to come back stronger, which was which is one of our uh, sermon titles earlier this year. And I've been thinking about a lot. And one of the reflections I had was, it was a bit of a broader reflection. And it was about how surprised I was that we were so unprepared as a culture for the change that the pandemic brought. And I'm not talking unprepared medically, I'm just talking culturally how we were unprepared. That when life and freedom were taken away from us 
And especially here in Melbourne, where we had uh, a curfew and we had that five kilometer uh, travel limit, we, we struggled to cope. And so much of what we had control over was no longer there. And the conversations I had with people, uh, with my friends, with some staff and patients, because I work at a hospital talking to them about this, uh, with Christians and non-Christians, and so much of on what was on uh, social media were often about how difficult and frustrated people were finding this time. Working from home, having kids at home while you're trying to work from home, uh, being isolated, uh, job sort of um, insecurity, financial hardship, uh, you know, having to wear masks, having to uh, limits on shopping, limits on exercise. Some of this stuff people were frustrated was, was quite trivial, but some of it was quite serious as well. And I felt that during this time, people were struggling to feel that fullness of life, that abundance, that overflow that John 10.10 talks about, that the things that we held tightly to or the things that we had control over or the things that we had placed our expectations in to give us life, they were taken away from us by this virus. But I wonder if the pandemic only magnified or put a spotlight on a problem that was there before this pandemic came. And I kind of want to ask yourself this question. Does my, or, or did my life, not just during the pandemic, but even before the pandemic, was it a life that was full, abundant, and overflowing as we see in John 10.10? 10? Perhaps as things are sort of starting to open up, especially here in Melbourne, uh, you're hoping for things to return to normal hoping uh, that the things that were taken away or the things that we uh, expected to have, that, will, that they will come back. Uh, but I remember Mark saying, and I think it was the, the third service when we went online, um, when we were in lockdown and we went online here at Red, uh, he, he mentioned a picture of graffiti in Hong Kong, uh, and this is the picture, uh, and he believed it was a word for the season. And he said, when this, what this uh, graffiti says is, we can't return to normal when normal was the problem we precisely had. Now, I want to suggest that the reasons these issues are magnified, especially during the pandemic, is that we had a skewed version of what a full life really is. And that we are settling for less than what Jesus is offering us in John 10.10. You see, intrinsically, the Bible tells us that we don't know what leads us to a good life. If we try and achieve the fullness of life in our feelings or what we perceive to be the comfortable, easy options or what we can control, then the truth is, biblically speaking, it leads to death. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs 14, 12, another one of my favorites, it says, there is a way that seems right to man. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about when we read John 10.10. 10. In its entirety, the whole verse says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. 
I think there's two options that Jesus is saying here. There's life and there's death. And I really think the pandemic has sort of amplified this idea of life uh, to the fullest. So showing us, you know, almost like a warning light on our dashboard, like something is going on, something's wrong. Uh, And all these things that I could control, I can't anymore. Uh, Many of the relationships uh, that I had have have drifted away and now I feel uh, empty and maybe isolated. Uh, Maybe we're having to face those difficult relationships uh, as we've been living with people that we've sort of been stuck with for uh, quite a few months. It's like a big bright light on a dashboard saying something's wrong. Because the fullness of life that Jesus is talking about, that Jesus is offering, isn't affected by circumstances. Like a pandemic. Like Paul says in Philippians, uh, he, he, Paul is a man who demonstrates, Paul the Apostle, he's a man who demonstrates uh, life to its fullest in Jesus. He, his, his famous line is, take joy in all circumstances. And despite all the suffering that he went through. Now, this is Paul. You know, he was, uh, he was his own people persecuted him, persecuted him, which probably included his family. He was often beaten with robs and, rod and whips. He was stoned. There were times he didn't have enough clothes to keep him warm. He was often in prison. He was bitten by snakes. He was shipwrecked not once, but three times. And it didn't matter what happened to him. There was a fullness of life when we read Paul's letters. Now, let me ask you this question. I'm going to ask you a few questions. If someone offered you life to its fullest, uh, in abundance, in overflow, but the caveat was that you might struggle with a sickness your whole life, or uh, you would lose a family member, or uh, you would struggle financially, maybe never get married or have kids, uh, that your perceived freedoms would be limited, that your choices in life would be, be determined by someone else. Would you, st- would you still walk that path if you knew that you would have fullness of life, that you would have peace and joy? And I, th- I think that we would struggle to conceive a life where Uh, we would struggle on one hand, but then we would have fullness of life and abundance on the other. They kind of don't go hand in hand in our modern thinking, but it can in God's kingdom. These things can and do go together. If you struggle with that question, that's okay, because this is a battle and I don't blame you. The enemy works against us, enticing us from the full, starting us away from the fullness of life, offering a perceived easier path with comfort and ease. There are things in this world that appear attractive that actually lead to death. We are drawn to a life that is so much less than what Jesus offers. So we need to set our sights on life. We need to set our sights on Jesus and, and walk past these things that would kill, steal, and destroy. What do I mean by that? During our, uh, our lockdown and our five-kilometer kilometer, uh, uh, limitations, my wife and I would often go for walks for exercise. Um, and I loved it because a lot of people were out exercising. And as we would be walking down the streets, we'd be looking at all these gardens that were beautiful. And, and people had done so much work, especially during the pandemic, lockdown. Uh, they've got time to work on it. They had done some incredible things. And we were getting some ideas and looking at them. And we would do the same uh, route every time. Again, looking at these gardens, beautiful garden after beautiful garden, over and over again. Uh, 
And when we'd finish our walk, we'd come to our house and we'd look at this, I'm going to call it a disaster zone of a front yard. It's pretty, it was pretty embarrassing. It was, it was a mess. There was weeds everywhere. So during this lockdown, we thought, well, why don't we just start, you know, taking out some weeds? And I don't know what happened. And somehow we ended up just clearing out entire, almost all our entire front garden, getting rid of all the bushes, all the weeds back to ground zero. Um, and we started again. So we spent the last six, seven months uh, redoing our front garden. I'll be honest, I love it. It's, uh, I find it peaceful and relaxing. Uh, I often spend my Sabbath in the garden, just out there, no devices, no technology, just me, the roses, and God. And I do a lot of praying and processing during this time as well. And when my wife and I are in the garden, I'll be honest, I feel a bit like Adam and Eve in their garden. Uh, working the garden, spending time with God, uh, wearing clothes, of course, in the front garden, and I wear clothes in the back garden too. Uh, it's very, very peaceful. And it's here in the, in the Garden of Eden that I want to illustrate the challenge we face when it comes to the fullness of life that is on offer. That is, the challenge that Adam and Eve had actually mirrors the challenges that we face today. They had to face the choice of fullness of life or death. As described in Genesis, there are, there are many trees. There, are, uh, there were trees that were pleasing to the eye. There were trees that were good for food. But in the middle of the garden, of this, this garden, in the middle of it, there were two trees. Now, the first tree was uh, what is called the tree of life. And what does the fruit on this tree offer? Well, that's pretty clear. It offers life. This tree, Genesis 3.22, and Jesus in John 3.16 offer, are offering the same thing. Both offer life. The tree presents the opportunity for humanity to have closeness with God and to receive life in his presence. However, there is another tree in the middle of the garden. And this is the tree of knowledge of, of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. This tree offers Adam and Eve the opportunity to take things into their own hands, using their own wisdom to guide their lives. But God says that this tree leads to death. Tim Mackey in the Bible Project says, uh, The trees are an image of the human condition. Eternal life is a gift that is available to us. But in order to receive it, we have to refuse to live by our own wisdom. These two trees are in the Bible. It says that they're positioned next to each other. And the thing is, in order to get to the tree of life, you have to walk past the tree, uh, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I like to think that we face the same challenge every day, that to, to get to the life that Jesus offers, we have to buy, bypass so much of what the world is trying to throw at us. The interesting thing about these trees when I was growing up is I think I misunderstood what they looked like. I always thought the, the tree of life was this golden, radiant, beautiful tree uh, with lots of fruit. Uh, and the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was this sort of twisted, darker, um, not as appealing tree. But what the Bible tells us is both these trees are pleasing to the eye. And this is why I think relative to us today is that this is a challenge for us. because 
the tree that leads to death is just as pleasing to the eye as a tree that gives life. You've got the enemy enticing you with this lesser tree. You've got the world enticing you with this lesser tree. Uh, even your own flesh is drawn to this lesser tree. But I'd love for us to have an honest conversation with God about what it is that is stopping us at this tree of the knowledge of good and evil on our way to the tree of life. What are we settling for in our life that, will, that we believe will bring us life? Uh, the truth being that there's, there's something better on offer. Now, if I ask that question, you may already know what it is that is, uh, that is stopping you from getting fullness of life. I think the pandemic might have highlighted, highlighted some, of the things, some of these things for you. And it's going to be different for all of us. So I actually just want to give a moment in the middle of this message for the Holy Spirit to speak. Uh, if you want to pause this video and spend some time with God, uh, I remember last night uh, before, while I was preparing this message, I, I went to bed and I was lying in bed and I just felt, and I'm, I've been was working this mission, I felt compelled to spend time with the Holy Spirit and ask him myself, what is it that I uh, am stopping at the tree that is not giving life and that is stopping me from getting the fullness of life? And I just would love for you to do that as well. So I just want to pray, Holy Spirit, come and be with the people who are watching this video. Uh, watching this this um, this message, and I just ask that you would reveal to them uh, what they are missing out, the fullness of life, but what it is that is stopping them from getting that fullness of life. Holy Spirit, come fill us. Show us your ways. Show us your truth. In your name, amen. Now, if you pause that video in your back, welcome back. But here's my tip. I want to give you a tip for not getting stuck at that tree. If you want fullness of life, here's my biblical recommendation. Don't take your eyes off Jesus. In Matthew 14, when uh, the disciple Peter was out on the boat on the Sea of, the Ga sea of Galilee uh, during the storm, he was called out by Jesus, who was walking on water, who I might add, blows my mind away that he's walking on water. Imagine a viral video that someone took of Jesus walking on water. It would go crazy. But anyway, it blows my mind. I think I grew up taking it for granted, but thinking about it, it's incredible. But anyway, Jesus is walking on water and he calls Peter out of the boat to come walk on water to him. And Peter, with his eyes fixed on Jesus, walks out on water, which again, I might add, blows my mind away. And if you know how the story goes, Peter takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the wind around him and he begins to doubt and he starts sinking into the water. You see, when we take our eyes off Jesus, we're doubting that Jesus can give us the fullness of life. And we start to feel the pressure of the life around us, just like Peter and the wind. What happens is I think we start to look internally, focusing on ourselves and not on Jesus. An inwards focus uh, is a, it's just the inclination of our flesh. And the enemy loves it when we focus on ourselves. And this is what the serpent did to Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, they got them to doubt God's promise of life and entice them to take matters into their own hands. Helping them focus in on themselves and their desire to take control and be like God. Now, during the P 
pandemic, self-help books like went crazy in, in sales. And one of the uh, one of the biggest selling self-help books, uh, which was over 30 million copies, is Dale Carnegie's uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Very famous book. You might have read it. And one of his main strategies is to recognize that people's favorite topic is themselves. If you can get people focused on themselves, then you can win them over and influence them. Now, the world knows this. Uh, Advertisers know this. The enemy knows this. So much of our culture is geared to making us focus on ourselves. But this doesn't lead to a fullness of life. I don't know about you, but I find that when my my focus is on me and, and what I need and what I'm about and how I can get better, I feel sometimes like I actually get worse. Like I become neurotic and self-absorbed. And I become stressed about why things aren't going the way I want them to. And I begin to try and control situations I can't control. Just ask my kids. They know what I'm talking about. And with our focus on us, we're also, we're also comparing ourselves with others to see where we stand. Uh, whether we're, we're doing better than others or maybe even... Maybe we're doing worse than others, creating this false reality that we settle into and it's not what it's cracked up to be. I think, the, again, I love, I'm a big fan of the Apostle Paul. Uh, I think he sums it well up well in the, in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, and Tim Keller has a book that unpacks this, this verse uh, called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's a great book, uh, just a little book, easy to read. You can read it in an hour. Uh, But he paraphrases the Apostle Paul and he says, this is what he's saying to the church in in Corinth. He says, Paul is saying, I don't care what you think of me. I have a very low opinion of your opinion of me. I love that Paul's fullness of life isn't dependent on what others think. They're not determining his worth based on their opinions. He's not comparing himself to others. But Paul goes on and he says, and again, Keller's paraphrase is, he says, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of me. I have a very low opinion of my opinion of me. I think Paul is realizing that his focus on what other people think and what even what he thinks of himself isn't going to bring him the fullness of life that is on offer. What Paul does says, what Paul does say is, I don't, I don't, I don't care what you think of me. I don't even care what I think of myself. I only care what the Lord thinks of me. And Paul isn't saying, you know, think of yourself, uh, think more of yourself, inflate your ego. He isn't saying think less of yourself, you know, put yourself down. He's just saying uh, think of yourself less often, and then. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And I don't think there's a problem with self-reflection. Don't hear me that. Self-reflective practices, self-development, taking stock of your behavior, or even in looking at, at why we do the things that we do. But if they don't result in us turning to Jesus, then they actually can take life away from us. For example, if we focus on our sin and are 
constantly struggling with why why we can't do better, we can start to feel guilt, we can start to feel shame or even turn to religious activities to try and better ourselves. Not giving us life, but actually it weighs us down. But if the recognition of our sin helps us to realize how much we need Jesus, then the gospel of grace becomes more and more alive in our lives, setting us free, showing us to allowing us to live the fullness of life in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I, again, I think this is what Paul recognizes this uh, in the book of 1 Timothy, where he says, uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Now, Paul is not denying it or he's pretending that he's not a sinner. He's acknowledging that he is one of the worst. And if you read about Paul, he did some horrific things. But it doesn't stop on the sin itself. He constantly turns to Jesus and acknowledges the grace that is poured out upon him. His eyes are fixed on Jesus. And I sometimes I think we get so introspective that we start to believe that we're not good enough for Jesus, that perhaps that he's done with us. But I want to tell you now, that is not true. There is nothing you can do that is not covered by God's grace. I can speak from that personally. If we take our eye, if if we take our eyes off ourselves and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, we will have a life with abundance and overflow. Sometimes fixing our eyes on Jesus just starts with a pattern of bringing yourself back to him daily. And then you find yourself connected with Jesus more and more. Reading your Bible, purposefully uh, seeking the Holy Spirit on what is stopping you from gaining this abundant life that I've been talking about, that Jesus has been talking about. My wife, Beth, who many of you would know, has been doing uh, Red Church's formation cohort that Sarah Deutsch has been running. Uh, and this year, part of her takeaway is that our focus on Jesus starts with a regular pattern. And then as we continue this pattern, it just starts to become part of our life and it invades all parts of our lives. I would love for you to have this fullness of life. But while we're looking at ourselves, while we're navel gazing, sort of just looking down at ourselves, we're not going to get there. This is the upside down kingdom of Jesus. So countercultural to what the world says. And here's the twist, a little bit of a twist. I've been talking about how you, how you want fullness of life, how you can get it. But that too is all about you. This is about Jesus. And fullness is what you get when you follow him. He's the one who gives us a full life. So that's my recommendation. That's my tip. Uh, quoting the Apostle of Paul, where he says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. I hope that resonates with you. Last week, Tim Keller tweeted something on Twitter. Is that tweeted? Tweeted? Is that the right? I don't know. He put something on Twitter and he said this The original lie of Satan is if we fully trust and obey God, we will be miserable. And I want to encourage you to know that that isn't true that jesus is offering life and life to its fullest 
It may not look how we expect it to look. It certainly won't look like what the world offers. It probably comes with a lot of ups and a lot of downs. But I promise you, well, actually, I can't promise you, but Jesus promises you a fullness of life that is abundant and overflowing. I want to share with you one last story before I finish up. About six years ago, I had done some work for a a university course in my field of radiography, and I was called to a meeting to sort of discuss uh, the future of the course. And the dean of the faculty actually came to me and asked me, he said, uh, she said, uh, I'd love for you to do a PhD. In fact, we've kind of got it all sorted, ready to do it. It's actually going to be quite easy for you to do. And I thought to myself, man, I was actually really excited. I had done my master's and, uh, you know, I knew a PhD would mean more recognition in my field. It would mean better job prospects. Uh, It would mean that uh, that voice in my head of my parents going, you know, big on education, study hard, work hard, uh, would would please them and make them proud. Uh, Little I know that they're already proud of me, if I I found out recently. Um, But uh, I was so excited about it. It was something that was on offer for me that, that looked good. And it's like, well, actually, this makes sense to do it. And I went away from that meeting and I actually had another meeting that night. At that time, I had been part of Red Church's Red School program that Mark and Sarah were running. And that program was like a monthly meeting for over a year where uh, we were learning to be about what it, what it looks like to potentially do ministry, um, what, it likes, what it means to uh, maybe be a leader in the context of uh, churches. And it was interesting, and I was a bit late for this meeting because I, I had this first meeting and I was on a high coming in this meeting. And at the end of the meeting, Mark and Sarah had laid out this, this vision for what, what, what was going to happen at Red, that Red was growing and becoming a bigger church and they were talking about launching a service. And then next year they were talking about doing an apprenticeship program, the Red Apprentice Ministers. Uh, and they laid it, out, laid it out there and I was like, I was super excited about it. And at the end, they, they got, they, Mark and Sarah left and they just got those who attended to sit there and pray over one another for what the future might hold. And here I am, faced with a similar dilemma that Adam and Eve faced in the Garden of Eden. On one hand, I had something that the world was offering me. It was something that would give me recognition, that would, uh, that would please my parents and, and their opinions of me. Uh, that would give me better job, job, job prospects. Similar to what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is offering. But on the other hand, there was an opportunity for me to step into uh, ministry and, and a training ministry program that would, uh, would actually where I actually was hoping I would be heading because the God had revealed this incredible gospel to me. And I had to make this decision that night on the same day I was offered these two things. And for me to get to what I th- would probably have given me life, and it actually, looking back hindsight now, has given me incredible fullness of life, I had to walk past this tree of knowledge of good and evil, that I had to set my eyes on Jesus. Now, I'm not saying PhDs are uh, a problem a problem, and you shouldn't be doing it. In fact, if God is calling you to do it, absolutely, because that can be part of the fullness of life that Jesus is offering. But for me at that time, there was this dilemma that I had to face. And in the end, um, I decided not to do the PhD. I, I think that God had spoken to me that night when people were praying for me. And I knew from then on that I wanted to be an apprentice minister. And that's why I'm here speaking to you today. 
But these are the kind of challenges that we face regularly. You see, Adam and Eve never got actually to eat from the tree of life. Uh, When they had the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were banished and exiled from the Garden of Eden. But this Advent season, which is the the coming of Jesus, uh, we remember that what once went wrong in the Garden of Eden is now made right again through what Jesus has done on the cross. And, And that's why we're celebrating this season that the Advent, the coming, that Jesus said, I have come that you might have life. And that's what we want to celebrate. Fullness of life is on offer here, folks. Fixing our eyes on Jesus and not on ourselves is critical to life and life to its fullest. If you look at the Bible, fullness of life comes from uh, giving up yourself for others. Fullness of life comes from humility, not promotion. Fullness of life comes from uh, sacrifice. Fullness of life comes from persecution. Fullness of life comes from generosity, not trying to accumulate things for ourselves. Fullness of life comes from giving up control to God. All these things Jesus demonstrated in his life here on earth. This is opposite of what the world offers, which tells you you can have it all without Jesus, which is so much less than the overflow and abundance that Jesus has for us. My question today has been, Do you want a full life and life to its fullest? Jesus said that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. I'm going to pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for the offer that is available to us through your sacrifice on the cross. I thank you that You have uh, given up so much that we can have so much. But I ask for those of us who are listening, those of us who are hearing your message, I pray that your Holy Spirit has spoken them to uh, today during this message. I I pray that if you are speaking to people, that they would respond, uh, that they would choose life, as you say in Deuteronomy, that, that, that they would know that they are loved so much by you, but it's not what they do, uh, but what you have done and who you are, Jesus. So we fix our eyes on you, not on ourselves. We look to you for all that is good. So Holy Spirit, come. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with uh, the wisdom and knowledge and power that comes from you. Show us your ways for life that is overflowing, full and abundant. In your name, amen.